I'm Mona Chalabi and this is Fortune Favours the Bold, a branded podcast from Mastercard and Gimlet Creative. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Mwangi John Kariuki lives in Western Kenya. It's about a three-hour drive northwest of Nairobi. Like a lot of other Kenyans, Mwangi is a farmer. In fact, the majority of working adults there make their living from farming. On Mwangi's farm, he has some cattle and he grows corn, potatoes, beans and cabbage too. What he grows helps feed his family. He has six kids. And he sells some of his produce as well. I wake up early, tend to my cows, and go to the farm where I work until 2 to 3 p.m., then head back home, where I tend to my cows again and milk them. That's my day's work. As a farmer, Mwangi's life goes in cycles. There's that daily rhythm of feeding, milking, and tending. Then there's the seasonal one, planting before the rainy season in the spring and harvesting in the fall. But this past year, Mwangi was worried. All of his children were in school at the same time. The three youngest in primary school and the three eldest in college. Money was especially tight and he didn't have the kids around to help. When it's time to plant, it's hard to get cash to use during the season. Mwangi needed the equivalent of about 120 US dollars for fertilizer and seed but it was out of reach. And without those things, he was going to have a disappointing harvest at best. The money just was not there. So he went to the bank. But they told him that in order to get a loan, he would have to produce all sorts of official documents. It's harder to fulfill some requirements like a bank statement, since farmers like me don't bank money all the time, apart from after harvest. Banks require busy statements for the past six months, yet we don't actively deposit money during this time. We withdraw all our money during the planting season. Mwangi didn't have the necessary income record. And because he had never taken out a loan before, he didn't have a credit history either. The bank's loan process just was not designed for someone like him. So how could he prove to them that he could be trustworthy? That's what this episode is all about. And stories like Mwangi's aren't uncommon. Around the world, as well as here in the US, people without credit histories who want to better themselves or their communities, they just don't seem to fit into the long-established mould we've been relying on to determine creditworthiness. We'll get back to Mwangi's story a little later. But right now, we're going to talk about how the rules around credit are changing. For the longest time, the cardinal rule of credit has been, if you want to get credit, you have to have a credit history. It's a classic chicken and egg problem. How can you get a loan to build borrowing history if you don't have any borrowing history? Right now, there are organisations working to totally redefine how we determine who is trustworthy enough to get credit. And in the process, working to bring new opportunities to more than a billion people across the world. We'll meet some of these innovators later in this episode. But first, if you want to understand how people and organisations are changing the rules, you have to understand a little bit about how those rules work to begin with. Here in the US, whether or not you can borrow money has mostly been determined the exact same way for more than 50 years, through two all-powerful documents. 
your credit report and your credit score. Cynthia Kinnan is an assistant professor of economics at Tufts University. She's been studying the traditional banking system for over a decade. Cynthia says you can think of your credit report like a transcript, like for school. But instead of grades in chemistry, art or PE, the credit report looks at your formal banking history. It lists a large amount of detail about different loans that you've taken out in the past, different lines of credit, be they mortgages, credit cards, auto loans, student loans, uh, etc. It can be those big expenses, like Cynthia is saying, but it can also be small things, like a phone bill. Those things are flagged in your credit report too. And if your credit report is your school transcript, then your credit score is your GPA. It's a summary measure uh, that just boils all of that down into, into one particular number. Although, unlike a GPA, you know, it's, I guess it'd be more like a weighted GPA, where maybe your, your grades in history classes counted differently than your grades in math. Basically, the bank looks at your report, runs the numbers, and calculates a score that ranges roughly from 300 to 850. As Cynthia mentioned, scores are based on a lot of things. Things like how many lines of credit you have open, whether you've been late making payments on your debt, as well as how much debt you have and what kinds of debt. The whole idea is that a credit score indicates if you're trustworthy enough or not to pay back a loan. It's a snapshot of your credibility and it helps the bank to make decisions. And if they decide you should get a loan at all, then they may also be deciding uh, how much can you borrow and at what interest rate and maybe how long will you have to pay that, pay that money back. And this system works really well for people with robust credit histories. Maybe they have a mortgage or they've already taken out student loans. Or, and this is a big one, they have help from their parents. But it also leaves a lot of people out. Because if you don't have credit history, you can be pretty stuck. It happened to me, sort of, when I'd first moved to New York from London four years ago. I needed a credit score in the US and had to learn how to build a credit history here too. And I was lucky. A landlord overlooked my absence of credit history because someone he knew vouched for me. It gave me an opportunity to apply for a credit card, only to be denied based on a clerical error. See, I'd found a cheap accountant who had misspelled my last name, deeming me uncreditworthy. It was eventually resolved, but it still sucked. My credit score had dipped before I even got to fully establish my credit history, and I just had to accept this as part of the process. It's not this easy for everyone. It might be worse in poorer parts of the world, but it's not great in the US either. I mean, there's 45 million Americans that they don't have a credit score at all. There's another 60 million Americans that have scores below 600. Vikas Raj is Managing Director at Axion Venture Lab. Among other work, they help fund tech companies who are discovering new ways of assessing trustworthiness beyond the credit score. Full disclosure, Axion is a strategic partner of MasterCard. Vikas and Axion strive to make the financial system work for more people. And Vikas sees an example right now in his own life of what credit can mean. He's getting a home loan, which is only possible because he's part of the credit system. I have access to a bank because I have a good credit score. The bank is offering me money to make it easier for me to buy this house. It's kind of unfair that somebody who doesn't have a credit score or who is low income living in a developing market uh, doesn't have access to that credit so that they themselves can't buy a house, have that stability. They themselves can't pay for their child's education. 
But there are a lot of innovators working to change the credit system in different ways. One thing many of them have in common is trying to bring a person's character back to a formal credit assessment process. Many of the companies that Axion supports use alternative data to assess a customer's trustworthiness, looking at their present situation and the people who know them now, in addition to their formal financial history. Apollo Agriculture is one of these companies. They're a Nairobi-based venture that provides financing to small-scale farmers in eastern Africa. Apollo is able to provide credit to really a set of smallholder farmers that never have had credit before and really don't exist in a formal credit bureau by using other kinds of information. Their customers opt in to let Apollo see data about their work and land. Apollo looks at the land and how much of it there is. They check the quality of the crops and the potential yield too. They kind of combine all of that information together to have their own effectively version of a credit score that allows them to make a decision uh, and provide credit to the farmer. Then they're able to provide tailored farming advice, products like seeds and fertilizer, and even loans. Remember Mwangi from the beginning of the show? He wasn't going to be able to pay for the seed and fertilizer he needed for harvest. And he wasn't going to be able to get a loan from a bank either. I was worried that I wasn't going to plant the corn I had with fertilizer. And even if I did get some, it wouldn't be enough. So I was going to lose the season. But he was able to get a small loan through Apollo. They looked at the things Vikas mentioned, size of land and potential yield. And Mwangi had been a farmer since 1995. So they also looked at that history of trustworthiness. And they determined they could trust this guy to pay his loan back. And even though formal lenders didn't trust him, Apollo was right. Mwangi has been making consistent payments since he got his loan. And he was able to successfully plant this season's crops. Getting the Apollo input loan allowed me to plant on time, before the rains. I haven't harvested yet, but my crop looks really good, and I hope to harvest more than last season. After the break, we'll learn about more ways that rule breakers are making the world of loans and creditworthiness more inclusive. You're listening to Fortune Favors the Bold. We just heard the story of Mwangi John Karayuki, who got some help from Apollo Agriculture. Apollo works with Axion, and Axion partners with MasterCard. MasterCard isn't a credit provider, but they do partner with organizations to explore new ways to provide micro and small businesses access to credit through digital technology. It's part of MasterCard's work to increase financial inclusion around the world because they know how important access to credit can be. Mike Froman is the vice chairman and president of strategic growth at MasterCard. To build a business, you've got to be able to get the capital to expand, to buy inventory, to build your shop, to hire people. And if you don't have a lot of savings, that means you've got to get somebody to lend you the money. But Mike knows that it's often difficult for small and micro businesses to get a formal loan, especially when they don't have a credit history. And so we need to find new ways of proving that you are credit worthy. And when you do that, then you can get the resources necessary to expand your business and strengthen your community. One way MasterCard's doing this, partnering up with Unilever to implement the Jazza Duca program. 
Jazaduka helps solve that problem that so many business owners face, no formal credit history. With Jazaduka, micro and small business owners can use their sales history with Unilever to get a small line of credit from a local bank. They can then stock their shelves with more products and better meet the needs of their customers. Jazaduka literally means fill up your store. Take someone like Nelson in Nairobi who started his own business eight years ago when he lost his job in the IT sector. And uh, since he joined this program, his sales have gone up more than 70%. And it's giving him an opportunity to get credit, to grow his business, and to serve his customers better. And Nelson is just one of 16,000 merchants signed up for Jazaduka and being trained on how to use credit responsibly. To find out more about how MasterCard is bringing financial access to people and businesses, send an email to fortunefavorsthebold at fftb at mastercard.com. That's fftb at mastercard.com. Before the break, we heard how Apollo Agriculture helped out Mwangi from Kenya. Part of the way they did that was through alternative data, things that traditional lenders wouldn't look at, but that could prove that someone is creditworthy. Technology is a big part of this. Take smartphones. They're becoming an increasingly useful tool for helping more people get access to credit. And so, some companies are asking customers to permit them to track their phone data for limited amounts of time. Cynthia, the Tufts economist from earlier, explains how seemingly inconsequential daily behaviours that your phone picks up on can actually correlate with behaviours of people who repay their loans. If I predictably visit the same set of locations day in and day out, that, that would sort of look like a profile where every day I go to work and then I go to the grocery store and then I come home. That would paint a picture of someone whose life is kind of stable and, and that might be something that would be attractive to a potential lender. Harnessing new kinds of data to determine trustworthiness doesn't just impact individuals. Vikas from Axion says that increased access to credit is actually key to the growth of economies around the world. He sees a future in which we will move beyond traditional credit reports and credit scores. It's a future in which many more people will have access to the credit they need. And that requires a lot of change. And I think our companies and many others in the kind of fintech startup world are pushing the industry in that direction. The goal of these companies is to provide non-traditional paths to develop credit, so people can finally get the foothold they need. Another company focused on making credit way more accessible, especially in developing countries, is Lendo Entrepreneurial Finance Lab, or Lendo EFL. Their goal is to meet their customers where they are. Now, instead of making people come in you know, and speak the language of credit bureau, which only 20% of the people have, instead, our view is that lenders should figure out the language that clients do speak. That's Bailey Klinger. He's the co-founder and director of Lendo EFL. He began thinking about the credit problem when he was at Harvard Kennedy School. As a business guy, Bailey saw an opportunity in the huge population that was being ignored by the traditional credit system. There's a lot of people who are informally employed, who are self-employed, who can't come in and show pay stuff. You know, that's a huge market for lenders if they can figure this out. So Bailey and his business partner, Asim Kawaja, came up with this idea of a psychometric credit assessment. It's kind of like a personality test. So instead of demonstrating your credit history in the past, you answer a series of questions to determine if you are trustworthy as a repayer now. 
Banks in emerging markets are using this personality test to gauge the creditworthiness of their customers. When a loan applicant goes into a bank that uses Lendo EFL's assessment in, say, the Philippines or Mexico, they're given a tablet with a questionnaire on it. The test asks questions like, how would you rate the trustworthiness of the businesses in your community? And do you believe you can succeed in anything you set your mind to? Each answer is correlated to one of two traits, repayer or defaulter. We had folks around the Gimlet office try out some of the questions. If you found one gold coin and had to spend it among these four categories, how would you do it? Vacation, savings, entertainment, charity. If I had to pick one, honestly, vacation. I'm so boring. I think I'd put it in savings. Because it's like, you know, windfall. So I wasn't like counting on it. What's the price of gold? Cash value of gold coin current. Another one of these questions asks if you make the bed or leave it messy. This is wild, right? Lendo EFL's model is based around the fact that there are these everyday behaviours that correlate with the behaviours of people who are likely to pay back loans, or who aren't. So far, well over one million people have taken the psychometric credit assessment. But Bailey says that Lendo EFL is just getting started. Their goal is for one billion people to gain access to credit through their test. In the midst of all this discussion of high-tech fixes to this global problem, there are a few economists out there who actually believe that the most forward-looking solutions might be pretty low-tech. No digital tablets, no mobile phones, no psychometrics, just plain old simple word of mouth. Benjamin Roth is a professor at Harvard Business School. Along with his colleagues Natalia Rigol and Rashman Hussam, he authored a study called Targeting High-Ability Entrepreneurs Using Community Information. In layman's terms, how to use neighbourhood gossip to assess creditworthiness. The study focused on the credit needs of small-scale entrepreneurs. Really small-scale. Think auto rickshaw drivers or vegetable vendors or fruit vendors, people who operate convenience shops, seamstresses. Another word for these kinds of people might be self-employed people, but, but at a very low income, operating with very low fixed capital and often no employees. Ben and his team went to a city in Maharashtra in India to test out their idea that community information is a viable form of assessing creditworthiness. There, they assembled the community into groups of five neighbours, people who had known each other pretty much their whole lives. The team asked these neighbours to rank the people in their group by who they believed would make good business owners. And Ben's group gave out $100 cash grants to some of these people as an experiment. What they found was this. If you give a random entrepreneur a $100 cash grant, then on average, the return on investment in these communities is something like 7% per month. But that's consistent with other estimates in the literature. However, if you choose who gets the grants based on the rankings from their community members... Their return on investment is about 23% per month. So three times as large. Three times as large. Ben thinks this is a promising step to inclusivity. What we showed was that in these communities in, in Maharashtra, people had very high-quality information that was useful for differentiating amongst borrowers, for figuring out who were the good types of borrowers with productive investment opportunities and who might be less reliable borrowers. It seems like leveraging community information might be reliable, 
More generally, information that takes more of the person into account, rather than just the formal credit score, might benefit individuals and economies worldwide. Because that old rule that you have to have credit to get credit, it just doesn't work. This is where the Lendo EFLs and Apollo Agricultures of the world come in. These rule breakers are getting us away from the incomplete picture that a credit score paints and towards a mosaic of indicators that reliably tell the institutions with the money, even though this person doesn't have a formal credit history, they deserve your trust. Next time on Fortune Favours the Bold, the working world is changing fast and workers have to keep their skills relevant but it doesn't just fall to the individual. If I could do nothing else in the next year, it would be to really help companies understand how critical it is that their workers have the skills that they need so the companies can be successful. This episode was produced by B.A. Parker with help from Cassandra Sun, Jorge Estrada, Kerry-Ann Thomas, and Matt Schultz. Production assistance from Max Gibson. Sarah Geis is our editor. Our MasterCard executive producers are Christine Elliott and Marcy Cohen. MasterCard editorial direction from Brooke Capsironi. Our MasterCard mid-roll producers are Arsalan Danish and Raina Kamart. We got additional help from Mira Belgrave, Kristen Haynes and Rebecca Kaufman. This episode was mixed by Rob Hahn with help from Dara Hirsch. Technical direction from Zach Schmidt. And our theme song is by Bobby Lord. Special thanks to Shivani Soroya, Catherine Ogaldi and Juan Jose. Let us know what you think of the show by sending an email to fortunefavorsthebold, fftb at mastercard.com. I'm Mona Chalabi. See you next time.